0: Hello friends, welcome back to the podcast. In today's conversation, we have Jared Fuller. Jared is the co-founder of Heavy Metal Baseball in Amarillo, Texas. As always, if you find value in this conversation and you'd like to learn more and follow Jared online, you can find him on Twitter at silkraider 80 I'll include that link in the show notes below. Also, if you enjoy this episode and all the episodes of the podcast, you can get video access to all of the episodes as well as instant access to all of the episodes before they drop on Apple and Spotify, with our brand new podcast premium. You get 40% off with code podcast for a limited time only. So go follow the link in the show description below um, and you can get that discount. I'm also giving away with that subscription two memberships to our flagship starter courses, Foundation of Throwing and First Principles of Hitting. Uh, That's over $350 worth of savings on the best content that we offer. So if you want to go do that, you want to support the show, Uh, Be sure to follow the link in the description below. Jared, Here we are. What's up, dude? Nothing, man. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Just another day. Just another cold day here in Virginia.
1: What's the temperature there?
0: 30-ish, 25-ish. Must be nice today. We're getting into the season where it's really cold in the morning, but it warms up during the day into the fifties. So it's supposed to be nice here today. It was nice yeah, so yesterday. Is
1: so that part of the time of year where you start off with a jacket and immediately hate yourself because you're sweating through your jacket by the afternoon? No, no, no.
0: So I am I am a cold nature guy. It'll be July and I'll have a hoodie on. I'm just that I'm that guy. everybody that, knows uh, that guy.
1: Yeah. I'm that guy. Yeah, I coach uh, a softball team with my daughter, and uh, the guy that coaches with me is Long Sleeve and Hoods in yep. August in Dallas. Yep, that's me.
0: That's me. I don't know. Oh. It's just it's what it I was is. Always,
1: I was always secretly hoping that he was covering up, like, some really cool tattoos that he couldn't let the girls see, but that would have been a better story anyway in my book. Right, for sure. Uh. Jared Fuller.
0: Uh, you work where where is heavy metal?
1: I am. I am uh, the co-founder of heavy metal with Robert Riggins. The legend up. Robert Riggins. <laughs> the legend Robert Riggins. I'm the only guy that will talk to Robert, so in Amarillo. So he really didn't have much of a choice. So <laughs> <laughs> we're not real beloved in the Texas panhandle. Uh, Robert no. and I. No, no, no not, not beloved. I, ca- I can't imagine. I can't
0: imagine <laughs> how that's true. Oh, man. So you probably listened to the podcast that I did with Robert.
1: Yeah, yeah. I listened to a uh, handful. I like the, the, the Devin Morgan one, was fantastic. I thought <laughs> yeah. that was a real good one. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, talking to Robert that day. It's like everything that I had hoped the podcast would be when when I just started like shooting the shit with people was like I had hoped for these moments to be captured on a podcast where like my my ideas just like get turned on their face and look look right back at me like what are you doing, man? And like that conversation with Robert was one of those days where I'm like, What am I doing? What what in the world am I doing? So it's funny because that day like, I ha- i have had synaptic strobes for a while, but we kind of mm-hmm. punted them a bit because the guys didn't like them and we don't like them. Fine. That's fine. But then, like, after that day, it's like, this is mandatory now. Like, I know, yeah. I understand the importance of this now. And so I don't care if you like
1: it or not. We'll see. Yeah. So I met Robert. Um so I was a high school baseball coach. And yep. uh, we had a pretty pretty good run of success there. In fact, 2019, we ended up winning the state title. And okay. I'd like to think, you know, and truth be told, it's one of those things that I'm an amazing, amazing baseball coach if you give me really, really good players. For um, sure. Yep. And we had a really good team. And we kind of went down. Uh, we, I rode off in the sunset after that. Uh kind of done with it. Plus, you know, my kids were getting older. It was like, you know, if someone's gonna screw up my kids, it's gonna be me. Uh right. So I so I'd take a different route at it. Anyway, about that time the pandemic hit, and Amarillo opened up earlier than than most places, and we were host they were hosting a, a big camp at our old field. And we had yet to turn over the program to the new coaching staff, so we were still responsible for the field. So we go up there and I meet Robert Riggins. And I sat there and watched him for a little bit. I was like, well, this guy's interesting. And yep. yeah. And I sure. said, said, hey, when are you done here? And he said, well, I'm done here about two o'clock. Okay. So I said, meet me in the Doug. I said, I want to talk to you a little bit. And we talked for about an hour. And then I realized I probably owed a lot of my players a written letter of apology for some of the stuff I'd taught them right Right. i just for sure (laughs) just because i didn't know any better and that's when we kind of started we started a friendship after that and i watched robert go from facility to facility uh peddling his his crazy theories and of course they're about as well received as you can uh imagine and yep the more the more we talk like no he's he's on to something here he's he's not he may not have the greatest delivery but he's on to something here and yep that's when sitting in a barbecue restaurant in Amarillo, Texas, I said, why don't we just do it on our own then? Right. If every place he was going, they were arguing with him. You know, your theories aren't yep. right. They don't work. And I said, well, if we just start our own deal and no one can argue with us and how wrong we were there. Right. Short. <laughs> right, sure,
0: sure. No, <laughs> and, that's what I've said about my own business. It's like, you know, probably I, I guess five or six years into having to hit tracks, You know, it started with weighted bats. It started with weighted balls when I found driveline. And, you know, my background, I played professional baseball. And so, you know, you don't touch a weighted ball because your arm's going to fall off professional baseball through the history, right? But i have been in the facility live. I was just kind of tired of getting to a certain point and always just hitting a wall and never being able to get past it. So I was willing to try new stuff. And then we got into throwing some, chucking some weighted balls. And I'm like, wow, this works amazingly good. You know, and so then I bought a hit tracks for one reason or another. And I thought it was going to be one thing, but then it, it, was, it became another thing. Of, it was eye opening how little I was helping players. And so we started chucking some weighted bats. And we started really building some magnetic velocity. Like, this weighted bat stuff really works too. And I thought at that point, You know, kind of cracking the code of power, you know, power at that time was like something you either most people felt like you either had or you didn't. And Mm -hmm. if you didn't have it, you became this one bucket of hitters that's like contact hitter. Like, I hate that. Like, aren't all hitters contact hitters? Like, isn't everybody trying to make con But we get this bucket of contact hitters and then we get this bucket of power hitters. And I thought, well, let's bridge the gap get more people in this bucket of power here because look at what we're doing here and it's like nothing people thought i was nuts and yeah and from then yeah. you know it was like a fight of of like you know we're increasing exit velocities a lot very successfully and giving players you know power that they never had before now they have power and i thought from a business perspective that would like be easy to sell It's like, oh, of course. Of course, I would love to have more. Of course, I would love to hit more doubles and hit more homers. It's like, nah, no, that's not it. I'm like, okay. So, we're just so beholden to this. This is probably the same fight that you ran into, or Robert ran into when he went into these facilities, and you still run into today in Amarillo, like you say. It's like, we're so beholden to this mechanical, everybody's so beholden to this mechanical first model. Whatever theirs is, I said this I said this on Brian Eisenberg's Mentors of Baseball podcast. It's all the same thing. You know, all mechanics first strategies are the same. It's the it's two sides to the same coin. You guys are fighting. Yeah. It's like the Superman or the Spider Man meme where Spider Man is pointing yeah. at Spider Man. Yes. That's what it is. It's like it's like this mechanical model. It's like, you know, we why is it so hard do you think? to, to, to operate. And Robert, and, and if you're friends with Robert, you were like this, like a
1: principal's first model of like building bat speed is really important. Why is that so hard to understand? You know, there was, there was two conversations that I had during, the, during this time me and Robert been to work to kind of, I still don't quite understand why. One was we were doing a live day with live A-Bs and there was a, a summer league guy there that had a lot of these players on his summer league team. Yep. And uh kind of a kid in the cage that was he'd been working with us, he was a kid that was, you know, six foot tall and weighed a hundred and nothing. And just in there just taking hacks. And the guy looks at me and he goes, Why don't you teach that guy to hit the ball the other way? And I said, <laughs> Well, I said I said, well, if I could teach a kid how to hit a pitch, in a specific, you know, if I could teach a kid how just to go one direction, if I could just teach that kid one skill, and it was just that easy that I could teach him the skill of going the other way. I said, wouldn't I be better served teaching that kid how to hit doubles off the wall? I said, if I can just magically teach one specific. And he just stared at me for a minute. And I think, and you know, we had another dad who pulled this kid out of our program because we were teaching his son how to pull the ball. And he yep. wanted his son to go the other way. And he was not going to have his son be a head. Yeah. Yeah. And he, uh, he was a fast kid. And so he wanted to go the other way. So he said, I don't want my son coming here. And you do all the data. you say full sideline drives, what they look like in batting averages. Yep. It doesn't matter. And <clears throat> there's this romanticism, like you said, about the skill set nature of, can we go the other way? That's, that is a high skill yeah. thing. And somehow, the idea of mashing the ball over the fence to some brutish thing, right. That you still just happen to run into. And, you know, I've said several times to people or or coach or dads. So you're just telling me Mike Trout's luckier than everybody else. (laughs) You know, Babe Babe Ruth would just happen to be luckier than everybody else. These guys that you revere and we all revere the guys that hit bombs Sure, they just happen. They just happen to be luckier. And they look at you for a minute and they go, well, no, Okay, so if they're not luckier, then we can train that as a skill. No. Well, no, we can't do this both ways. There's, There's got to be a break either way. And, uh, yeah, You know, I, again, there's, I think there's this romanticism about going the other way, which is a good thing to do, but somehow it's a higher skill set to place the ball than it is to hit the ball off the wall. And I, yeah. I don't still quite understand it. I thought we settled this debate when Chicks dig the long ball with you know, Greg right. Maddox and Tom all- Glavin. You know, do you that, think uh,
0: I've I've had this?
1: I don't I don't mean to bring up the playing side. Were you a good player? No. See, I tell people which is uh, I love the game more than they ever loved me, and that is right. <laughs> that's still the the case. I was a decent baseball player in high school. Um, nobody's all American, but I was a contributor on some really good teams. Yeah. And like I, I kind of fell into coaching. I didn't think I'd get into coaching, and um. And I tell also people this, and you I think you can probably respect this. When I first started coaching, I was a garbage coach. Never. I was just a no. garbage coach that was spouting off uh every coaching line you possibly could and patting yourself yep. on the back. Guilty. And oddly enough, yeah. And oddly yeah. enough, nobody when I was a garbage coach, nobody argued with me. No. <laughs> no. The minute I started to get a little bit better and trying to learn things is the minute I got all these onslaughts of these arguments about how stupid I am, uh, and how I don't know what I'm doing. And I'll, I'll fully admit there's a lot of things I still don't know, but as I always found that fascinating when I was 22 and wearing kids out after the game and short to the ball and, and all those things you hear from the third and, and saying sure. that stuff, yep. everyone clapped and told me how good of a coach I was. I started yep. doing a little more studying and now I'm uh now I'm a terrible coach. I'm a garbage coach now. But no, sure. I, I didn't start to answer that question long way. No, I, I I was not good enough to play the game after high school. just didn't have that skill set. I,
0: you know, and this is not an indictment to say that you have to be a good player to be a good coach. That's not at all true. That's not in any way true. But I think a lot of people that hold these views hold yeah. these views because they didn't hit homers. And so if they didn't hit homers, you know, then homers, they just don't want to come to the realization of like, there was a way for you then to have more power and speed. And you would just have to admit that you weren't very good, which I'm not sure anybody wants to do. uh, And then change your direction of like, I wasn't very good, but this is how you're going to be good. The guys with more power, the guys with more bat speed. uh, I got drafted out of high school. I didn't get drafted out of high school because I went the other way. with You know, (laughs) I like I get hit balls. You know, our school, our field at our high school, there was like a parking lot behind the left field fence, probably, I don't know, 150, 200 feet long parking lot. And then the football field house was there, and then the football field. And I could like one hop, like long hop the field house on a 315, 345 gap. Okay? Like that's power. So yeah. today, it's it's... And people will write me off. People write you off because they say, well, you know, he doesn't know what he's talking about because, you know, he, oh, didn't, well, yeah. he whatever yeah. reason people write me off because it's like, he, it's easy for him to say he had power. You know, he just wants you to do what he did. And it's like, you Not everybody's like him. And it's like, well, that's, that's true, but you can develop more power. But we can, can close can the gap. Yeah, we
1: can close the gap. And that's you may not I have what this. I
0: had. And it's an interesting conversation because I don't know that I got into the weeds with this with Robert at all, but like my grandfather was a Blue Angel pilot, like one of the best pilots in the Navy. He flew in World War II. He was a Blue he was a Blue Angel, like air show pilot. I gotta imagine that guy's visual skills because he died before my he died in a plane crash before my dad was my dad was only six months old so we I never knew him my dad never knew him but yeah. but uh, I imagine his visual skills had to be like amazing like Ted Williams didn't go fight fly in the war because his vision was terrible you know his tracking yeah. and things was probably good I would say genetically my visual skills are very good
1: too you know and we- so. With the last thing me and Robert have been dra- dragging down, uh, Robert and me would probably tell you your vestibular skills were next level. Right. Uh, the the uh, idea of how you interact between the auditory and the and the visual and that yep. sense that now you can, you know, would, would suggest that, especially for a pilot, right, as many, so your ability to regulate as, you, you know, you move, yep. right, and as we move as hitters, and, and, you know, the best way to think about it is uh, or to look at it visually as you see those pictures of an owl and someone grabs the body of an owl and they move and the head just stays right. right? You know what I'm talking about? And they can twist that bird yep. any which way. And that bird, you know, you got to think about a pilot would have probably with this probably for they've needed, they probably know it now, but his vestibular skills and his ability to regulate in space are probably next level.
0: Off the right? charts. Yeah. And,
1: that, and if that's something that it is, it can be, I don't. We haven't looked into if it's hereditary or not. We're just looking to see right now if we can improve it in our guys. Uh, but that would probably be one of the things that may have made you a a really good hitter is your ability to navigate that. Um, yeah. Again, think of. Uh, it's funny
0: because as far back as I can remember, like I never ever ever in my life, as far back as I can remember, had any problem squaring the ball up ever. And it's yep. like. Like what is that? You know, I, I said that about Ted Williams on a video on Twitter one time. It's like was Ted's swing just that much better than everybody else's? I doubt it. I mean it's good, but it was it that much better than say, I don't know, the second best hitter of that time? I doubt it. What set Ted apart? Well, the second best hitter probably didn't fly fighter jets in World War Two. No. Right? And so there was some there's something there. There's something yeah. in there that's different.
1: No, it is different. That's and you see and and not to take away from you know th- there are people that are born with it, right? And you know this is kind of where me and Robert got our start. Is there's people that are born with it. There are people that yep. just walk in and they're different, and good for them. Good for them from winning that genetic lottery. Yep. Um, and what? But what happens for the rest of us? Right? How much can we close the gap? And can we close the gap? And uh you know, we came about that is because we both had similar things. You know, he was teaching at uh, those little small schools in New Mexico where you might have 12, 15 guys come out. Well, that was the same thing. We were a small private school. We had 12, 15 guys come out total for baseball. And so we got, you know, my path down to player development got to the point where and I may have a year-long eight guys can play. I mean, really play. And so I yep. got to figure out how to shore up my nine and ten guys that they're not such a suck on the team. Yep. Right. I have to, I have to make them better. I have to figure out how to make them better. And that's really kind of where, you know, the traditional methods of coaching where I had to get out of them. Cause I'm like, I'm not making guys better. Um, I'm just, I'm not even making the guys who are good better, but, uh, you know, chasing that rabbit, but that's, that's where we're, you know, that's where you. I think you're at. That's where we're at with this stuff. Is we've got to close the gap, or can we close the gap, and how much can we close the gap, right? For the for every kid like you, who can hit the ball and hit the parking lot, who where's that kid who's just missing that, or maybe yep. he's not hitting the ball where you are, but maybe he's in the ball ten feet behind you. And yep. guess what? That's still over the fence, right? Sure. It's, yep. it's Still over the fence, and so that's, you know that's I mean that's the heavy metal method right there, uh, I think, and some of the stuff robert's taken with him to his, to his next coaching gig is uh developing players at a higher level and closing that door sure. it's but, funny because
0: you say that and I, and i you know i I said my my journey in coaching has kind of been a search for a bit of a personal search in like why didn't I make it all the way to the top? You know, yeah. what held me back from making it all the way to the top. Um, We've were, we were always, from the first day I coached, been driven by, we're going to do whatever's in the best interest of the player. That is it. That is the end That is the end of the conversation. We're going to go in the best direction of the player. And that's why I like being in the private business a lot, is we can go in a lot of directions that maybe I wouldn't have gone in. You know, as my sister works, my sister's a senior athletic director at University of Tennessee. And we were talking, we were talking about, um, we were talking about. I wish I had gone into maybe college coaching when I was twenty three. Would it maybe just climb the college ladder? But then again, I, I said, you know, would I have arrived at where I am today if I had gone that direction? I don't know. I don't know that answer. It's hard to say. I would maybe say no because I'm like you, you know. I coached in high school for five years. The last two years as a head coach. We, My last year's head coach, we took a very mediocre, talented team and got beat in the state championship. We won another state championship. So if I had stayed there and we had just continued to win, would I have seen any need to change anything? And again, I'm like you. I thought I was good. I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't. Like I, I was very much the same story of, had all the I had all the hot language and I had all the I had all the answers to all the mechanical problems that every hitter had ever. Um, and again, I think it's a, I think it's a probably a pill that you came to swallow. And it's a pill that I think a lot of coaches like if they really swallowed it of like your players a lot of the time are successful in spite of you, not uh-huh. because of you. And yeah, and I yeah. like I swallowed that pill years ago like man there's so many guys that I coached that I they were just good because they had to overcome me not yeah. because of me you know no, and I and I, 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 I will say this I have always been a guy and I've always been a coach and this is probably true of you is you were probably good at developing an atmosphere and a culture of success and so that was probably a thing that that players found them, But what you were saying, it's like, or what yeah. you were teaching or coaching, it's like players were doing what they were doing in spite of me. Like I had nothing. I didn't. I had way less to do with it than I thought I did
1: for sure. Yeah, there was. A, I got a nephew who was a was a college catcher. Uh, he works with us now, but uh, I've had to use the man. If I knew what I knew now, right? You weren't. Uh, you know, I'm not saying he goes. He goes. You put me in the show. Uncle, I said no, I can't put you in the show. I said, but right. uh, you you would have been a, an NAIA catcher. You probably would have been a Division two catcher. And I think yeah. back, I I think back to the things I said to him. And I'm like, oh my god, that kid was better before I got a hold of him. He was already a college level catcher. Yeah. You know, the only thing, the only thing I was good at telling him is, listen, you can't weigh 130 pounds and catch in catching college. And he listened yep. to me, so he dedicated himself in the weight room. And, uh, but outside of that, I just you know go I, you know, and I, I try not to kick myself about it, but I still do. Where I go, man, I, I, I and I guess maybe that's why I work as hard as I do now, uh, and still continue yeah. to. Because I, kinda, I owe it, I think I owe it to those guys. Um, that uh, I, I had heard this once from a guy who was a University of Tennessee baseball coach for a while. I think he went on coach to the finish team, and I was at a, a clinic with him for watching him, and he said. If I'm coaching the same thing, if, I, if we do this every five years and I come back and give you the same talk every five years, then I've failed as a coach. And he said, if I have not updated my systems, I've not updated anything in the last five years and I have failed miserably as a coach. And that stuck with me, right? That, you know, here's this guy who's, who's had more success as far as a coaching profession than I had, right? He's been a Division One coach. He's coaching like a national team over there. Yeah. And he keeps saying, I've got to update my methods. And then you know that's one of the things that struck me and that's the piece of the psychology. I think, and this is my overarching theory, why, you know, we, we go and you sit down with a coach here in Texas or you sit down with a mom or a dad here in Texas and they're espousing the same thing that their daddy told them that their daddy told them that their daddy told them about the game of baseball. And if you want to hear my two-bit psychology about it, I'll tell you what my two-bit psychology is. And that is, uh, Anybody who ever introduced you to this game and made you love it, you revere them, right? The same way, you know, the the first person who really puts you on a ball field that you can remember, there's a reverence there because they brought this thing to you that becomes such an important part of your life. And I think we have a hard time divorcing from the fact that if my grandfather or my dad, who taught me the game of baseball and taught me some stuff that was wrong, he taught me stuff that was wrong, but that doesn't make him a bad person. And that doesn't make him a, a bad coach. It means he was operating on the best op- information he had at the time. Yep. Right. I think way too often when we come in and say, listen, we're changing things. We're, we've come about this a different way. I think the two-bit psychology is, well, this, was, this is how my favorite coach taught me when I was a kid. And I can't reconcile that he did something wrong. Right. Yep. That blows that- up the, the romantic image that you have of them. A hundred percent. And I think I've said that
0: before is people, people see it as either attack on their character or attack on the character of somebody they really, really, really like. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's not true. Like that's not true at all. You know, things, things I think a lot of people say, you know, if, there's a lot of cliche things about change and growth and, that people regurgitate all the time. Uh, they don't necessarily, uh, they don't necessarily live it out, but they regurgitate it a lot. Yeah. And like you said, we just have, there's there, I was talking to a young, young coach a couple weeks ago and he said, said, you know, I got to admit, man, some of the stuff that you rail on now I've done. I said, me too, man. Me too. But you know what? Just because you did it five years ago, doesn't make you a bad coach. What makes you a bad coach is having the information now and still continuing to do it. You know, I've said before on this podcast and on the internet, is because I've never been somebody who had to defend my intelligence. I've never been a smart, I've never been a smart person. Like I didn't, I didn't do real good in school. Like I made as good a grade as somebody as an 18 year old kid who knew he was going to go to a power five conference school and who Pretty well knew he was going to get drafted, too. Yeah. That's about how good I did in school. (laughs) That's about how hard I tried. I tried just hard (laughs) enough. But, so I've never had to, like, defend my intelligence at all. So, like, coming upon a new idea and trying something different, I don't have to defend why I was wrong before because people are just like, okay, you know, here we go. Here we go down another rabbit hole, you know. It's like the day I talked to Robert and I we, 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 we took eye patches in the facility three days later. It's like here, put this on when you do your two plate long short bat machine work today. They're like, What do you yeah. mean? Just put this on and, and we're gonna we're gonna hit with it today. I don't know what's gonna happen, you're not gonna die and nothing's gonna catch on fire. I said that about my troubleshooting skills on this podcast. You know, just push buttons until something catches on fire and stop. That's kinda how you approach hitting like we just kind of push buttons until something really fails. And then we kind of observe like why it failed and then yeah. we go forward with it.
1: You know, yeah. when we, when Robert and I, and I'm with you too, I tell people all the time, uh, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, I'm in the wrong room. But part, right? I feel bad for the room.
0: It's like, yeah. if I'm the best scramble player on your four man golf team, we're not <laughs> yeah. doing good today.
1: Hey, but since I, since I've figured out the secret, I can, I can bomb it off the tee now. I can get For you sure. one out of every five fairways. One yeah. out of every five fairways, you're going to be playing my ball. Uh, yeah,
0: I've been that guy. I've been that guy pretty much. My,
1: yeah. like
0: if I'm on the four man team and I'm on there because there's three good golfers and you just need something that's really far in the fairway, and I'm yeah. the, that guy, then our scramble team's pretty good. But if I'm the best golfer on the scramble team, we're we're not we're not we're yeah. not placing today, boys. I hate to tell you that.
1: Yeah, I got. Uh, I got kicked off my brothers. I got three brothers. I got kicked off their scramble squad for a scratch golfer. And like they went down the list. Yep. It was a, we did this, I golfed one time a year and it was with my brothers. That's how cutthroat brothers can be is I get all geared up, dusting off the clubs. I'm like, so we're playing next week. Like, no, you got, you got You're replaced. <laughs> <laughs> then I look at the guy that you bring, he's like a former country club pro. And I'm like, I get it. I understand. I, guys. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, no, I no it. pride or ego here. I get it. Yeah. I, like if, I, you're, yeah. if you're bringing your wife to play with you, then I've been a little offended, but no, you brought a guy who's a former country club pro. I, I get it. You guys want to win the scramble once and you're tired yep. of looking, spending 10 minutes looking for my golf ball every time we go off the tee box, but yep. Um, for sure. No, I get no, it. I've, well, I've have totally you, uh, have you jumped into earplug training yet?
0: I haven't. I have, you know, I, I talked to Robert that day. And my, it shouldn't even be a reservation. I should totally do it. But my reservation was, Robert, if we do this, but we don't, because I would have a hard time convincing kids they need to wear earplugs in a game. Some of them I could, I think, but others I couldn't. And so if we do this in the facility, but they don't do it in the game, was the facility time wasted? I, I that was kind of my hang yeah.
1: up. Like like do So what we saw and what we did is there was a reversion to the mean every couple of weeks. So, you know, when we put in earplugs in kids, they started swinging faster immediately. It was not gradual. In fact, the first kid I think was plus seven on his swing speed, and he was irritated beyond belief because he couldn't barrel anything up right yep. because all of a sudden he is moving i told him the same thing i told him the way i described it to some of these guys it was a spider-man print spider-man thing you know you go to bed you're peter parker you wake up yep. you're spider-man you grab the doorknob and rip it off right yep. that's essentially that's essentially what we did is you went from yep. a guy who swings about 65 and we put an earplugs all of a sudden you're swinging 72 73 your body's never moved that fast in his life has no idea how to compensate for it and then what we would see is if we took them out there would still be they would still move that fast that memory of that event for lack of a better term stayed with them okay but it turned into after a couple weeks if you abandon it completely they kind of reverted to their main but their and as as is athletic training their floor was a little higher because we elevated their ceiling and so that that was the trade-off so you know the guys that you know uh the guy that had one of the two guys that stayed with us been really, really loyal. Um, he does not hit with a man right now, but he he swings about seventy eight to eighty miles an hour. And it is a combination of uh his work ethic, his work he he, you know, he he's not just like some kid that weighs hundred and twenty pounds that swings about eighty. He he's dedicated yeah. himself in all the right ways. Um but we're plus five plus six and it stays with him now we just have to know that every now and then we're going to redo the we're going to keep those earplugs in or or music or white noise because we use all three kind of depending on really we, we used to do behavioral analysis tests on our guys and then we started i started looking the correlation between different behavior profiles and how they responded to different stimuli so Pretty well, we put them in three different camps on different behavioral profiles. On the guys who like, who perform better with music, because some guys, if you give them music, they can get lost in the music. Yeah, and that's what you want, right? You want to get lost in that music. Uh, I played music professionally for seven, for ten years. For a guy like me, I don't get lost in music. Yeah, right? me neither. I, I I break down music, or I pay attention to what's happening, so it has the exact opposite effect on me. Uh, for some guys, the white noise stuff, they actually move slower because, you know, how it uh, it interacts this with the brain.
0: So, you
1: know, the, guy, the thing about it, <laughs> this is it. I, I told somebody, this, cause we started doing some earplug stuff, across stuff we did with a, a female track athlete. And I yep. told everybody, said, I only want to start working with female track athletes, or female athletes, period. Because we ran a series with her, and her feedback was amazing. It was detailed. She took time. And I loved it. I was writing stuff down that she was saying about how she felt in the movement. And I get a high school boy in there. I'm like, hey, what would you think about that? It's good. Yeah, sweet. That's it? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you go, hey, you you know, we're looking at your numbers. You're down with uh, white noise. What's it doing to you? I don't like it. Yeah, I I know. Can you give me a little more? (laughs) Yeah. That sucks. Things sucks. That sucks. Okay. And so they're not always the most – Oh yeah. They're just top notch conversation because if it sucks, they just got through getting blown up by rising turbo sliders and they can't hit them. And so they're all pouting up in the corner and they just don't give great feedback. So, um, I think I should just probably start working with female athletes because again, I got a, I got two pages of things that that girl told me how she felt in space moving with her body and earplugs. This was a track athlete, not hitter. Yep. And how more in tune she felt with her body as she was running and more aware of breathing and more aware of these things that she said coaches had told her for years that she didn't quite intuitively understand until we put the earplugs in. And by the way, she uh, PR'd. First
0: well, I was going to make this point, you know, a track athlete, it's pretty, it's,
1: it's a pretty simple standard of improvement. It's like, if you run yep. faster, that's good. She pr I mean, pr she... the first time she ran her first two hundred, and then we gave her earplugs and let her do the. Uh, the now that, here's the thing: you have to do. You have to let that moment sink in. You just can't put in earplugs and bang go. You have to put in earplugs and wait a little bit and let everything kind of reweight the senses, reweight the fact they're not hearing stuff. Yep. And we did that, and she pr would on that track, ran the fastest two hundred of her time. And so, I mean, yeah, uh, do you just
0: go to Lowe's? Do I
1: just go to Lowe's and buy that? By the yeah. ones that you eat with, yeah. You want you want thirty decibels or greater. So how this kind of got started is is like all Robert will tell you. I run like a one to eight ratio of good to bad ideas, and yep. <laughs> the first came the first came out of a really bad idea, and the bad idea was came from my music background. So everything that is in space vibrates and has a corresponding note according to it. So even as we move through space and vibration. There is a corresponding key that that resonates with, yep. and so my thought was, if we could find the key that a fastball that ninety six was thrown at, what if we flooded the area with that sound and we tuned in the ears and the eyes together? Right. Well, it's a terrible idea because sound does not travel as fast as light. Again, same problem. How does that translate into an end game If you're in Yankee yep. Stadium and is a guy going to is the organ going to lay on the E? because he picks up the yep. signs, all of the Astros and no. So that's yeah. where we went to that different study where I was looking at. Um, there was a a study put out there by, I think by British uh, researchers that stated that that children that were deaf or hearing impaired had better visual reaction times than their hearing counterparts from playing video games. They reacted quicker to things that were happening. And you Know then it kind of ties into Occam's razor that makes sense because we've always heard that people who are uh, lacking a sense, deaf or blind, the other ones are heightened to make up for that lack. So that's when we went, Well, what if we earplug kids? Right? What would happen then? Um, and it worked right, it worked immediately, and it worked way too good immediately. And that's when you know we went more and more and more and started seeing what we could do, and um, but. <laughs> it, it, it came from a terrible, terrible idea, and um, I've already had – I had two terrible ideas yesterday with Robert. We are talking about people who are double-hemisphered um, and wondering uh-huh. whether or not – yeah. Uh, and we did find that was kind of interesting. We found uh, that people who are uh, ambidextrous or somewhat ambidextrous actually process information a little bit quicker than the people who aren't, and the reason being because both – hemispheres of the brain have to interact they basically cross each other so i'm left-handed um and if you're born left-handed you're essentially already ambidextrous because the world's right-handed right so you have to learn how to interact in a right-handed world you know and then they they notice that when people are ambidextrous or you know use speech that both hemispheres of their brain light up people who are dominant to one side Only that one side that we kind of know that controls uh, speech pattern lights up when they're using it. Uh, That's just another different crazy idea that we're having quite formulated. But I figured I'd tell you because you wouldn't laugh me off the planet just yet. No,
0: no, I think it's (laughs) super interesting, man. Because you know, I did. I love Ryan Parker. I've been a Ryan Parker fan for years. Um, One of the OG Twitter guys, you know, and he and he posted a a thing about, I think it was Saturday because I was in Knoxville, um, about what we can't train, you know, and I think it was b- the basis of like a swing decision map of the strike zone and how it was hard to, to get high level guys to improve, really improve their swing. I, I don't remember exactly, but I remember immediately thinking, I I always think about Robert like I think about I think about Robert in that podcast and now I'm going to think about you is because no you won't you won't improve this if you take a movement approach a movement first approach to you know swing accuracy swing decisions because it all starts with like how you perceive the ball how
1: you're going to process that information and so this is you know and Really, uh, the thing with Robert Gray and Eco D, those guys are—they got a lot of good stuff. Love the Eco D approach on a lot of stuff, and where I I disagree with them respectfully is, I I think they under—I think they discount uh, what the brain does, and like as a, let's see, a catch-all or a disclaimer. I, I think I, I'm gonna name every time I talk as a thing, it says things I think I think. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and where I'm at right now, and I told Robert, and he's we, we talk about this quite a bit, me and Robert work together, and then we leave and then we start talking to each other after, is <clears throat> I am I'm with you. This this idea of training a movement is showing up after the scene of the crime. Sure, you know, you're no. a, you're a fight, you're a firefighter at that point in my in, in my in my estimation. You're you're not a you're not investigating how we got to that point. You're just showing up after the building is burnt and saying, "Hey, there was a fire here." Um, right. If if and this goes into stuff that we that I've been studying and you know in flow states and stuff like that. I don't think I don't think we've begun to scratch the surface is what we understand how the brain is interacting with the body. And what the brain is telling the body to do in that given moment. And I'm still on team prediction. I'm not on team reaction. Uh, if you read a book called Your Brain is a Time Machine, you come to the thing, the realization that by, by listing those guys that you don't even pilot a car by a reaction. And if you piloted a car by their, yeah. by their, by, by, by reaction, you'd be dead because you're traveling faster really than you can anticipate. And so, how do you know when to stop, slow, break? You know, and you do this intuitively. No. You must almost you do all that stuff without even processing what's going on at much slower rates of speed than you are hitting a baseball. So, if I can't pilot a car by reacting at 55, 70 miles an hour, and I can't take my family from here to, to Dallas or Oklahoma City without predicting the things that are happening from all in the background without my knowledge, then how am I going to hit a baseball and reacting? Yep. Right. So at that point, the only thing I can surmise, it becomes a prediction. Like you see, and you put these videos out and so does uh, Abney. Right. That guy throws his barrel out of something and pokes into right field. Well, did he get that by working a tee? No, no. No. And if you asked him why he did that, he can't tell you why he did it. Nope. And no, I've said this on this
0: podcast before is if you gave, Major leaguers, you ever seen? Have you? We'll talk about Marvel movies maybe later. But have yeah. you seen Ant- Second Ant Man? You seen the Second Ant Man? Yes, I got. I got, got a nine-year-old boy. I've seen every Marvel 100% movie. percent. Where <laughs> they give they give them truth serum. Okay, yeah. if you gave major leaguers truth serum, like injected them with truth serum, and then asked them how do you hit a hundred percent, I will say I have no idea. I don't. I don't have a clue. I just kind
1: of get ready and somehow. Intuitively, I swing where the ball is. Yeah. Chipper Jones was like the closest. So when he was hitting four hundred in his late thirties, you remember that span where like he carried a four hundred yep. average in like July or August? And I was listening to him in a pregame thing and they're like, So what are you doing? And he just flat out goes, I'm guessing, right? And that was the closest estimation I've ever heard a major league hitter just lay it out there. Right. And that's probably because Chipper yep. Jones at the time was late thirties and pretty confident in himself. But he goes, i hey, he doesn't guessing care. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just I'm just guessing right. And all the guys in the booth chuckled, but he didn't. And you're like, that was that moment in, for him that was truth serious where he just went, Yeah. I I you know, but I wouldn't even say you're guessing. I'm just saying I'm so tuned in to like a flow state. Yeah. And you know, the first thing that happens with flow state, and I'm sure you've looked into it, is death to self. Yep. Right? You you're not really aware of yourself and what's going on. So that was suggested. That that's why younger guys probably have a hard time with flow state because you're hyper aware of yourself. You're hyper aware of what 100%. you look. Yeah. You're hyper aware. Uh, you know, you're looking at me now. I'm a bald guy in my forties. I I'm not really care as much as I used yeah. to. Right? Look at me. I'm a, I'm a gray <laughs> headed guy.
0: Almost. I'll be 39 in June. I don't, I don't yeah. much
1: care. Either. Right. And, and so if we get to that death of self, you know, to me again, and this is just a whole bit of psychology, you're, at, you're going to be better able to enter a flow state and if you just admit up front this death of self, right? I don't know how I'm going to do this, right? And I'm not going to be hyper aware of self. And you're going to get, again, again, that's the, the presupposition. Why is Chipper Jones hitting 400 in his 30s? A, he's an amazing athlete, you know, but most guys no. don't carry that in his late 30s. But B, there's probably a little bit of flow state to a guy who doesn't give a damn anymore about right. what anybody thinks about him. 100% right and I've, uh, and
0: I've said that i've said that not in those eloquent of terms but i've said about my own career is i remember distinctly this one time in rookie ball where up until pro ball i never struggled ever in my life hitting a baseball ever get to pro ball i'm struggling and i don't know what to do i'm 19 20 years old again i'm super hypersensitive about myself you know we're at this road trip. I'm oh for about two weeks. I haven't gotten hit God knows how long. I haven't even hit a ball hard in God knows how long. And my parents are coming to the game. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, and I just kind of arrived. I call it this f moment where you're just like, you know what, f I don't care. And, and I remember this, this distinctly where I just kind of had this ethic moment where um, I, I, I decided that day, I'm like, you know what? Today, I am just going to see how easy I can swing and see what happens. And I go like three for four that night with like whatever, a couple doubles. And I go on about a week tear of just this this thing of like, wow, I'm just not at all. I don't even care. And I'm hitting. And it, And I've said that. I've said, you know, I've never heard any athlete ever. And I've been around a while now say you know the more i think the better i do and so i think i should just think more you know we're all trying to arrive at the solution where you're getting players to think less you want everybody i think agrees like if you think less you'll be better but in practice we fill your head with thoughts Mm -hmm. you know and and i've said that about our training floor is like if you walked into our training floor and you really didn't I get, and you're you're probably the same way, a hundred percent the same way. If you walked in and you had this preconceived notion of, of what a, a coach is, this doesn't look like that. We got guys that are blasting balls to the top of the cage. I'm probably in the back of the cage, maybe feeding balls or something. I'm not saying anything to anyone. You know, we we're, we got we got sensors on, so we're hitting in the top of the cage. The coach isn't really saying anything. And if you walked in as a parent, you like, what is we this? Have.
1: Like, he's not it's doing tough. anything. He's not coaching it's, at all. Yeah, it's we had to like, start well, reading parents coaching. into that. Yeah, yeah, we did. We had to – I used to tell – we started at the point now where if we get a new client, I tell them, I said, listen, I'm not going to say much. I said, and more often than not, I'm just going to talk to your son or daughter about their day. Um, we're going to do a constraint-led approach. Yep. And we're going to allow your athlete to figure it out. We're going to constrain yep. it. We're going to make the drill as, po- as as tough as possible. A um, couple of slogans that revolve around uh, heavy metal. One is weak BP makes weak hitters. Uh, yep. The other one is nobody loves you if you bunt. Um. Yep. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, it, it is hard because, you know, we'll get these things set up with four or five kids. And I don't even have to feed the machine, right? I can just sit there and watch the hit tracks and you got a dad sitting there and we're talking about his day and you can see in his head, like, what are you doing? Right. I'm, I'm letting your son figure this out. I'm cause I've constrained the drill, right? I, yep. I've looked at the swing and I think I know what's going on here. And it's usually constrained by different, different weighted bats, different stuff like sure. that, different, yep. or we move the pitching machine around for kids who can't hit dirt. So, you know, I watch him, you know, we tell the the, the kids to get it. We're about to pick apart your weakness. I'm not here to make you feel good about yourself. You know, if I think you can't get to this pitch up here, then guess what? We're going to look at for the next week that yep. pitch there, and we're going to and that's all I'm going to do. That's your constraint. You can't get there. But to your point earlier, and this is a, this was a kind of an eye opening thing for me. Probably elementary for everybody else was if you look at the way the brain interprets what's happening, right? It's just data, according to the brain. It's just reading data. It's a black and white, here's the information. So why do we struggle on pitches where we're down? Why do we struggle on an 0-2 pitch? And why are we so much more comfortable on a 3-1 pitch? Because the data is exactly the same how the brain reads it. right? The brain is not interpreting anything other than what is in front of it. So essentially, according to the information, the 0-2 pitch is no different than the 3-1 pitch, than the 0-1 pitch, and the 1-1 pitch. But hitters across all organizations struggle at 0-2, and they succeed at 3-1. Same thing with pitchers, right? They they Yep. They're, they're in a driver's seat at 0-2, but it's the same pitch. Well, anything that we introduce to the brain that... Does not help it read data, slows it down. So, back to your point, the emotions that we bring to the plate, the fear of striking out, only serves to make us move slower because you've only got limited bandwidth, right? This highway that we have that interprets information is not like an eight lane highway. Yep. Right. Let's say it's a two lane highway that is constantly trying to read data and tell us where to go. And now, all of a sudden, I take a motion and I put a 15, 15- the passenger bus on that highway. Well, now I've choked the flow of information. And if I'm choking the flow of information, I am slowing down the way that I actually move. It's kind of, if you look at it in practice, it's fairly obvious for the kid that's struggling. He keeps struggling, keeps struggling, keeps struggling, right? The cycle where, but you see, the more he struggles, the more he interjects. You know, the same thing you've seen with kids, a kid that can't hit, he wants to stop and ask you, What am I doing wrong? Yeah, yeah what am I doing We're wrong? Yeah, you're well, what you're doing right now is you're sucking. That's what you're doing wrong. Have you tried not <laughs> sucking? Get back in the cage and try not to suck for a minute. And, but he wants you to give him this, right? But he, at that point, yep. he's trying to introduce more information that he doesn't really need to process what's happening in front of him. And so, um, it's a fine line between letting guys be who they are, right? I'm, I'm, I'm fairly robotic. I'm not a real out loud emotional guy. No, um, me neither. And, and and uh i uh, but I've got guys that come in that we call psychopaths that are yellers and screamers they sure. just are, and so guess what I'll let them yell and scream, and the guys who want to be quiet they get to be quiet because i I think when I start interjecting how I want them to act in a certain way, then I am putting something in them that's going to make them move slower and you know, as somebody on Twitter said, I thought was brilliant. Did you think, do you think Albert Pujols just forgot how to hit when he turned 40? No, yep. no. He probably knew more about the act of hitting than he ever did in his 20s. He just, yep. he just it can't had move more information fast anymore. Than he ever had. Yeah. And he just can't move fast anymore. That's the only thing. And this game is a premium. Moving fast is at a premium. So anything, and that's, you know, what we do, what me and Robert talk about, anything that doesn't help you move fast, let's get it out of the way. And a lot of that can be emotions. Well, that can be the, the 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 idea of you're too focused on self that chokes down that 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 interpretation because again realistically, even though it's hard to look at it, oh two three one oh you know three oh the brain doesn't know the difference. The brain just knows there's a ball coming at it and interpreting it. Right, and with the intention of I got to hit this thing somehow. Yep. Yeah.
0: Oh, man, I love it. Uh, let's talk about so. You're a, you're a girl dad. Yeah. You got a nine-year-old son. And how old is your daughter? Twelve.
1: Old. Twelve.
0: Well, about the space of mine. My daughter just turned 10 in November. And my son just turned eight in January. Yeah. Uh, Coaching your kids. Coaching your kids. It's a unique struggle. I mean, it is a very unique struggle. Uh, Talk about, talk about, motivating your daughter or your son, you know, how do you talk about that?
1: Yeah. Uh, well I got my, my 12 year old daughter is the athlete her daddy never was. Okay. And she is, she's a type a personality and she is a go, go, go. She, in fact, when she was real young, she was one of those kids. We had to run into the dirt every day. So she'd go to bed. Yep. You just, you, you did not put her in front of the TV to wind down for an hour. No, you, you made her go play in the yard until she was exhausted. Then you scooped her up out of the yard and gave her a bath and put her in bed. And she still got that motor. And so, um, she's my true lefty, but, uh, I'm really, I think I'm fortunate because by the time my kids started playing sports, I hadn't gotten rid of all my mistakes, but I gotten rid of a ton of my mistakes. Right. I, I got to experiment being awful on somebody else's kids, unfortunately
0: right 100%. <laughs> and, uh, no, I've said that about myself. It's like there'd been a time that I would have ruined my own children a hundred percent I like to think now i i I' less likely to ruin them now than yeah, I was yeah. before. I still might ruin them, but I'm less likely now to ruin them than I ever was before, just because we're trying to facilitate this this search and discovery, you know, I've, I've told my own kids about, about sports. You know what the cool part about sports is, is, and this is the thing I continue to love about sports today is we kind of know what the treasure is. And we're like on this endless treasure hunt. And the most important piece is like, just keep searching for the treasure every day. Cause I don't know what the map looks like for any of you. But if you get to search for it every day, it's like, it's like going on a treasure hunt. Like if I drop. You off on an island and told you there's a treasure out there, just go look for it. You would probably get up every day and look for it. That's what that's what athletic skill is. It's like being on a treasure hunt every day. Yeah. And so, but the unfortunate part, and I don't know if you run into this with your own children, is do, you, do your kids go to school or are they homeschool? They go. They go to school because yeah. you drop them off. Yeah. This morning. Yeah. The unfortunate part is school. We could go down a whole rabbit hole at school. <laughs> but school presents itself and presents the teacher as this person who's going to give them the answer or give mm-hmm. present to them the knowledge. So then they view coaches that way. And so they, they look to me to give them the answer. And I'm like, look, even if I had it, I wouldn't give it to you because that would yep. help you at all. But B, I don't have it. So this is not what school is and I'm school is what it is. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. I think it's mostly bad and I think it's mostly a waste of time. But the the the, the environment they spend all day in. You know, oh, yeah. the environment that your parents that come to your facility grew up in.
1: Speaking technical difficulties. Well, speak of the devil, that was my son's school calling me. <laughs> I uh I actually didn't. I actually tried to cancel it because I knew it was going to be my my son, uh, like all nine year old boys. About yep. once every three weeks, he likes to try and get sick. Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. He tries. Yeah, I'm sick. No, yeah, no, for, you're not. Yeah, you're, you just don't I want think, to go to school.
0: I think my wife works the school, so <coughs> she she messages me and said, so, "Marshall doesn't feel very good." I'm like, "He'll be all right. I bet he bet he makes it to the end of the day."
1: Yeah, uh, that's what I just told them. But I I will tell you, you know, I think you're 100% right. Um, And, you know, one of the things I tell my kids still to this day is, so now me, you got me, let's see here. There we go. Yep, perfect. Uh, One thing I tell my kids is, and I I tell them this enough, because it's like every other kid, you have to repeat it over and over again. I say, listen, when you're on the mound and when you're in the box, who's there with you? Nobody. It's a lonely place to be. You're the only person that gets in the box. You're the only person that stands on the mound. So it better be your movement, right? It better be something to make sense to you because they don't let me pick up a bat. And so I'm not going to give you the solution, right? I'm going to let you figure it out. And that's been the best thing for my daughter specifically. My son's still nine years old and nine-year-old kids can conquer the world. Yep. Right. So he's still the greatest thing ever. Right. If if he hits, he hits a ball 50 miles an hour. It's the hardest ball ever hit in humanity. You know, yeah. I love, I love <laughs> I had a kid that I helped with his little league team. And this kid comes up to me and he says, I'm a mix between Nolan Arenado, uh Ronald Acuna. And he named one other guy, the guy that shortstop for the Padres. I uh, teach. I teach <laughs> he goes, he said, I just He just, I just want to let you know. I'm a mixture of all three. I'm like good for you. Awesome! This is going to be <laughs> a fun year. <laughs> I, like, I really hope you are, kid. I said that's that's an easy path to life if you're a mixture of those three. But yep. Uh, yep. It, you're going to have the, no problem paying your bills here. No, in no, a few no. Years. And and women are going to love you. You you've got a good you've yep. got a good good for you. Uh but I can tell you this, and this has been the interesting thing. I quit coaching my boy for about two years. Yeah, and the reason being is he could not separate dad from coach. Yeah, um, my daughter can. My and and my I've come back this year. My sons appear to be doing a better job of it. But if if they did something wrong or they did something we we you know we had to correct on the field, my daughter was pretty well like that's the coach telling me it's okay. My boy was why is dad mad at me? Yep, and that's why and that's why I stopped for two years in part because. I wasn't going to bridge that gap with him. It was just going to make for us to have a bad relationship yep. because um, I tell people this, I look at my son and I think I'm guilty of this with boys, probably more than a girl. And I'm like, why won't you and in my head? I'm like, why don't you do this thing? It just makes sense. Right. Why aren't you behaving in this way? And then I go to bed, take him to bed and he's still sleeping with dinosaur pillows. And he goes, yep. Okay, because he's a nine year old yep. kid, you moron. That's yep. why, because he doesn't have a fully functioning developed logic center. 100%. That's why.
0: I said that this weekend is those are not small high school kids out no. there. You can't treat them like small high school kids out there. They're 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 kids. They don't have developed brains, they don't have emotional intelligence, they don't have good predictive skills, they don't
1: You
0: know, they have have terrible hygiene. Yeah. Yeah. I I I, I told, I told, I told a a a mom this the other day about her son who been struggling, swinging the bat, fine, whatever. I said, you know, we could get into the weeds on his movement, but he's only been potty trained for less than a decade. And he's not done growing. And so. I don't know that it's that important that we certainly will try to facilitate a better training environment to compensate for what's happening. We'll do better at that. We'll come mm-hmm. up with something. We'll try to improve what you're talking about, but to worry about it, to worry about a kid again, who sleeps with dinosaur pillows and has been potty trained for about half a decade to like use the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to worry too much about, it, you know, and, and, We get, again, Yeah, we go all the way back to the mechanics first approach. It's like to even worry about this until this, this person stops growing is a total net zero
1: loss of time. Well, yeah. Yeah, It's the same thing. Like on a nightly basis, I have to remind my son to put shampoo in his hair every night, every night. You have to wash your hair with soap. Oh, (laughs) and the day I don't tell him, he just sits in the bathtub full of warm water calls it. It calls it good until we're going to school. I'm like something smells in this car, and I'm like, "Have you been using soap?" Oh yeah, yeah. Like, I hey, forgot. listen, every every time you get in that bathtub, you have to use soap. Uh, no, but you're 100 percent right, and that's the other thing I look at that I can't logically square, especially in this burn the teas world. Right? Is yep. There's not one swing solution, right? Because that swing solution may sh- may shift because you know a kid from his freshman sophomore year shows up and he's gained he's grown six inches he's gained 20 pounds right and all of a sudden the t height has to be adjusted or and it doesn't it doesn't take into effect a kid that may weigh too you know a a six-year-old kid that may grow or a six-year-old kid that's not going to grow because what you know it's just it, there's it can't be that mechanical. It just can't be that mechanical because the human yep. body is not a it's not a machine, in the way that it right. operates in a mechanical sphere. And, uh, you know, uh, I think you saw my trampoline drill that yep. kind of got got blown up, and that was a thought behind that, which was yep. how could we in a very low stress environment introduce varying levels of baseballs that the kid had to alter, had to figure out different swing solutions, and that's sure. why.
2: We were just trying to see
1: right. We just want to see if we can warm up a different way. Because I usually use med balls to get warm. Well, I had a team full of guys that just came out of lifting. They didn't need to throw any more med balls for us. Yeah. Like, well, I don't I don't want to go jumping right into machine stuff. I still want to get some swing stuff, but I don't want to work a T. How do I do this in the most varying way possible? Yep. And that's what how that was born was you know, that's a low con it's a low stress. Right? You can still turn and figure it out, but you know, oddly enough, you know who struggles with that drill it is high school kids who have been pretty well conditioned how to swing a bat. You yeah. know who doesn't struggle with that kid drill? Kids. They don't struggle with that drill. My son doesn't struggle with that drill. But all he's ever been taught is hit the ball. Sure, moving. That's, yeah, move and hit the ball. Move fast. We call it move fast break stuff. And we, you know, my daughter, same thing. We're not, she's not, she's not very mechanic. We don't go over mechanics. So when I put them on that drill next to some high school kid, they tear that drill up. They can hit a pitch up here. They can hit a pitch down here. Right. They, they have figured out how to barrel stuff up across several different levels. Yep. And the high school kid who who works tees 30 minutes a day, he can't hit a moving ball. Right. I'm like, this entire thing is about hitting a moving ball. Right. No, I'm with you. It's funny because
0: I, I I train, I will only train young people at this point in my career if the whole team comes and the coach is there. Yeah. And so we just do team training. And so I know there's some kids on the team that get lessons from God knows where else. And as soon as you throw them in the cage and the ball starts moving, they suck at hitting. But it's like, I can, t- you know, you can spot a lesson kid from yeah. 14 miles down the road. Like, I don't even have to be in the same area code. I can spot them. You can spot them miles away. And I know the kid takes lessons. And it's like, what a just net waste of time this is. Because as soon as the ball, I move the ball, the the central element to the problem, ball's yeah. ball, They don't hit good anymore at all. And it's like, how do we get past this idea of you got to build the swing? And then I'm using my quote fingers if you're listening on the podcast. You got to build the swing and then apply it to pitching or hitting
1: or whatever. How do we get past that backwards notion? Well, the. Here's the thing, and this is this is what I've always so I'm so happy Robert is doing what he's doing because we call it now Robert has officially got the halo of authority, right? Right. He's officially yep. right. Robert's the same he knows guy. Nobody's talking six about months, now. Yep, yeah, exactly. Six <laughs> months ago, he was a moron. Now he's working for the Giants, so he's got the halo of authority. Yeah. And when you walk into ninety percent of facilities, it's who's given the lessons. The guy who played college baseball, the guy who played a little bit of uh, minor league ball. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if you walk in and go, this is just from my perspective, right? If I walk in and go, hey, I've got a different way. Like, hey, where'd you play ball? I "I didn't play ball. Yeah, but this guy played in Birmingham for the Birmingham Jets or whatever for, for three years. And I used to say, tell me why you're a good coach. Or tell me your coaching credentials. And you're like, Well, I played Major League Baseball. I didn't ask you how good of a player you were. I asked you, what is your philosophy and what's your coaching credentials? Well, I played ball in Division II and I was an All-American. Now, again, I didn't ask you how good of a baseball player you were. But for the regular parent, and it should, that carries a lot of weight. Sure. And I, and I think the guys that uh, until, and I don't know if we'll ever, the, until the guys that are guardians and they're guardians for that battle. I don't know if we'll ever win that battle because even yeah. you with your stuff, if you go, you know, you, you've got that halo of authority. You can, you can walk in and kick in the door and say, I, I, played. I play ball. I played. And uh, you walk into another guy who played the same level as you he's teaching something different. They just kind of who, they, who they're going to believe in that moment. And it's an interesting,
0: it's an interesting conundrum. I put myself in certainly,
1: because
0: yeah. I've been in the conversations before. And it's like, well, you know, such, such play. I'm like, so did I. So now you're faced with a decision of here's a guy that played that's thinking a little bit differently, using technology, applying first principles, first guy that's just – because, listen, I know the regurgitated pro ball way too because I did it, and I sold it to people, and I yeah. packaged it nicely, and I spoke a good language. <laughs> and then – I, I, It didn't work. It wasn't good. It's not good. I've done both things. What I've said on Twitter before is, like, people people only use the pro ball card if it supports some bias that they already kind of had, you know. And, they, and, again, that's why, you know, I always ask people, if you could snap your fingers and disappear anything out of baseball, what would it be? You know, it's why that, like, A-Rod is so bad for this because people – who watched baseball, who hopefully will still watch baseball after we get through this me- another mess that Rob Manfred's got yeah. us in. They watch him and listen to him misrepresent the skill, too. And it's like, okay, well, A-Rod said that. Now the guy down the street is saying the same thing that A-Rod said, and A-Rod is a Hall of Famer, hit 600 and some odd homers. He must be right. And this other guy that played pro ball, he doesn't know what he's doing. So he's not saying the same thing A-Rod said. And it's like, maybe A-Rod doesn't Maybe a rod on a, and I've said this about, I said this about JD Martinez on a tweet not too long ago. JD Martinez is right for JD Martinez, 100%. 100%. He is not right for you and where you are in your stage of motor learning. You all are not the same person. You're not in the same stage of motor learning. You're not. I think it was about hitting the ball in the air. JD Martinez said, yeah. I never try to hit it in the air. It's like, well, that's yeah. true. And, like, you should try to hit it in the air. Until you can hit it in the air every time and then don't try to do it anymore. Just hit and that'll be what happens. That's what JD Martinez is in. You're not there. And so try you need to try to you need to try to do what you want to happen, not some some idea that some advanced stage motor learning person says he does, and you're not even close to that.
1: Well, the and this is and this is things I've put out specifically after that. This is when I think as coaches, we have to define the term, right? Because if we use non-specific language, um, hit the ball in the air or, or, or stuff like that, then it becomes interpretable by anybody else's standard. Does that make sense? Yep. Um, and you would be surprised, maybe not, maybe, but when you say hit the ball in the air that you have to classify, you do understand a line drive is in the air. Sure. Right. Yep. Yeah. And, and again, it's, we. you know, you want to, I'm helping with my son's team and uh, he said, we're not all about it. He, was, he, he, he mercifully said, listen, I trust you. You can work with the hitters. I said, fair enough. I said, don't, he, I said, I'm going to do some weird stuff down there. Um, your parents aren't going to like it. Uh, so I'm always happy to explain what we're doing, but he said, we don't want to get into this elevate and celebrate. That was what he said. I don't want to get into this elevate and celebrate. I said, so you don't want me to teach your kids line drives. Well, yes. Okay. So that puts the ball in the air, right? And, yep. you know, for for these guys that are high-level movers and high-level athletes, and this is one thing, I don't know if you've done the on-base-use stuff, is sometimes these guys succeed in spite. They're such phenomenal athletes. They succeed oh. in spite of some of the things they're doing. They don't move correctly. They're just that good of an athlete. Um, and Their brain is just that good. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, you know, and this is a question I want to ask you. Now that I've got you, hadn't thought about this. So Robert and I were going over some stuff that uh, he's learning uh, uh, that I can't get into because it's proprietary. Sure. But yep. We were talking to a, a high school coach about some swing path stuff, and Robert was showing him some different things, and it, you know, it wasn't the flat bat path. And that guy after after Robert I felt I felt so bad for this guy. Poor Robert just kinda fried his circuits. (laughs) And and I've seen it a handful of times. (laughs) I've seen it a handful of times and he's just so nice about it. But he doesn't he doesn't he, he won't relent. Um and so you know you kinda but uh I watched it again, but this guy finally breaks down and he says, and so you help me out with this, he says, that swing works for the pro ball and that swing works for college, but that swing doesn't work for high school. Right. <laughs> Tell right. me what you think about that as a guy who you, who's done, who, who's, who's been around that swing works for Freddie Freeman, but that swing won't play. Yeah.
0: yeah. I I don't know. I, I honestly, I have a hard time with, Again, you're re- reasoning from two different points. We're reasoning from this guy who has an obvious bias to a swing that he think a swing stop type that will work in high school that probably puts the ball on the ground a lot. I assume that's that's kind of where he's fighting from. It's like yeah. he wants to put the ball on the ground a lot versus a guy who's – Robert is literally telling you is – a ball that's hit really hard, that's hit on a line, right. it's a good thing. And it's like, and this guy just sticks his head in the sand and won't hear it. Because, again, he just doesn't think from his experience as a player, who he probably wasn't very good, Who his experience as a coach, who may have probably been successful a bit, I don't know, maybe, maybe not, he just feels strongly that he knows he knows what it takes to be successful. Because I guess he has maybe been, you know. It's like Robert. It's like Robert. I mean, Robert will tell you, like, I sucked as a high school coach. Like, I didn't – they didn't win. They weren't very good. But he's smart enough yeah. to be like, well, fine, this is not working. Then I got to do something better. Yeah. And the, no. on the flip side, the guy who wins, it's like, why, why? Why would I need to do anything better? And he just covered it up by, like, that swing doesn't work at the high school level. So that that doesn't make any sense. Like, why is this level – why would a swing be different from
1: this level to the next level to the next level to the next level? The next level? Like, why? Why? You know, I, I was curious because, again, the, I, I start from the presupposition from this. I'm probably wrong. That's right. Usually, that's usually where I start out from is – I have an Could idea. Three
0: to five years from now, what I'm saying right now, I probably it's probably right. outdated and I'll probably be in another spot.
1: Yeah.
0: And I, th- I and still so- think though I still think though that if you start reasoning from the problem from you gotta hit it hard and you gotta hit it off the ground. If you if you were still alive from when Babe Ruth played you'd still be saying the same thing today because that's what players from the history of baseball have done good is they hit the ball hard, they
1: hit off the ground consistently. Like that's mm-hmm. where we start reasoning from. Did, did, did Robert get into the idea like how they got born in your podcast, which was, uh, you know, if you look at the first rules of baseball, why, why this thing is stuck around or why it was born, put out that way was, A, in the first rules of baseball, if you caught the ball off of one hop, it was recorded as an out. So okay. if somebody hit you, if you caught it off one bounce in the air, you could still record the out. So a that disincentivized balls in the air because the guy didn't okay. have to be perfect, right? He could catch it on that one hop. And the second one was uh, if you look at the condition of the playing field and the fact that baseballs by the third or fourth or fifth inning were just mush and lumpy. Yeah, um, it's kind of like probably not this extreme, but like those reaction balls that Derek Jeter promoted. Yep, That's essentially what you were hitting was a reaction ball that was bumping all over the ground and it could hit a rock at any point. Exactly. And they weren't manicured fields and, you know, and, 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 and there were several riders in that era that, you know, the home run was a brutish act and not filled full of skill as we kind of talked about earlier. So you had the prevailing culture, not thinking, you didn't have fences either. Right. There was, you know, Right. At the beginning of this, if you watch like Ken Burns baseball, the thing that will blow your mind is you're watching early baseball games and there's guys standing behind the right fielder. They're <laughs> <laughs> just standing there. There's no stands or fence, they're just standing there watching the game. Um and so it all gets prioritized, and then I, I think that's but you go now where you go like your best high school teams are playing on turf fields. Where there's yep. no bad hops. Good. Um they're playing with base, brand-new baseballs in, in, in better gear than ever. And, you know, this, you're just like – got to – It would it's kind of hard to believe that something like that would stick around from the early stages of the game. But it seems like it was just kind of born out of that and carried, born out of that and carried. And guys like you that can pop one out of the park or an outlier and the rest of us just need to learn how to lay down bunts 100%. and move guys over. 100%. So it's just – Again, and do, how do we combat that? I don't know. You know, there are days. I have no idea. I have no there idea. Are, there are days that uh, I tell Robert, uh, I'll just go with you Dominican Republic and work for free. We could still,
0: way, I, and my friend Ryan Johansson, he said this. You know, we could still deliver mail with horse on horseback. But we totally could. 100%. But there's nothing stopping us from doing that. But we just figured out there's better ways to deliver mail. Like we can do it electronically. You know yeah. how do we get to how do we get to like the point in baseball where there are like better ways to do attack this problem than sitting the ball on the tee? Like we, I was thinking this recently. Did was the T a thing before Tony Gwynn? Like did anybody hit the ball off the
1: tee before Tony Gwynn? Because I can't remember. Well, I asked this question on Twitter once. How do you train tennis players? I've Not never often. seen anybody train I've never seen I've never seen a tennis player train off of a tee, and I, now, admittedly, I don't know a lot about tennis. But it appears to me they bring him out on a court and they hit balls at them. Yep. Right. Some slow. figure some out. Scale yeah. It down exactly. Slow. Yep. Yep. They scale it down appropriately, but when they're trying to figure out how to serve, bounce until they graduate from here. I've never seen anybody put an apparatus. that goes just sit that there and figure out how to hit it. We're the only sport I can see. I mean, it's uh, they goes that methodology. It really uh, makes I,
0: me, I, it really makes me angry.
1: <laughs> I love when people say, "Well, you'd have
0: been a better, you'd have been a better hitter in the minor league if you'd have spent time on the tee." I'm like, bro, I spent hours on the tee because A, I I wanted to be a big leaguer, and b) that's what they told you to do, and so that's yeah. what I did. I hit probably more balls in the Cleveland Indians organization off the tee than anybody at that time, 100%. It was the first person there, the last person to leave. I wanted to be a big leaguer. I hit plenty of balls off
1: the tee. It wasn't that. You know, it was uh, when we did our podcast with Ed with the Giants. You know, Ed said something effective. Is there plenty of times where I had to sit and he goes, Do I, you know, the efficacy of the tee? He said, You know, he had his doubts, but he said, there are some times where I needed uh, I had a bad day or or, or bad moment and I wanted to figure out life so just swinging on a tee for an hour in the cage got me right up here. Yep. Then I'm like, fine, go, but let's let's call it what it is. You're in there, maybe just getting your head right, maybe you just want some moment in the peace. But let's yep. not act like this thing is 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 significantly helping you hit the baseball. Right, it can have its place for whatever you want, but let's not pretend like this thing is is significant in your development as a baseball player. And again it's just so fascinating to me the uh the people who you know will will come after you and your burn the tea stuff. Why why are you trying to hold on to that thing so bad? I know. Uh, I know why?
0: it's it's weird. And and I'm guilty. I am guilty. I mean we 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 used the backspin tea which is a good tea if you're going to use a T, yeah. use that one. I, okay? That's what I would say. But, I and I, people will DM me. i be like, look, man, you're not wrong. Okay? I, I 100% agree with you in what you're saying. And sometimes the will allow you to do a weird drill that you maybe wouldn't otherwise do. 100% with you. But you'll realize that you don't lose anything when you take the T out. You don't lose anything. Nothing. There's no. You know, it, it's almost like a safety blanket of somebody. It's like, well, you know, we got to get the process started with with just the team. And it's like, you're not going to miss it if you throw it out and just front toss. You're not. We do the same no. drills. We've always – drills. We do the same things kind of we've always started with. You know, we always kind of start with some some weird constraints and some weird bats and some flips. And, you know, we get the barrel going. We get, we get the accuracy dialed in. Then we try to get to the machine. Uh, whatever machine work we're gonna do,
1: as quickly as possible. Like that's what we're trying to get into. Yeah, and we're trying if to you spend get, most of our time there. You see, if you want to get warmed up on the tee, I'm fine. Get warmed up. If you want to get things firing, but again, I think medicine balls do a much better job. I'm with you of, Printing. of getting you ri- priming it. Yeah, and so because on the other side with medicine balls, we can work work both the non dominant and dominant side. Yeah, those movements, whereas we don't really do that on a tee. So we're only teaching, we're only really firing up one side of what we're doing. Um, and for kids who just can't get the movement to fill it out, do we keep a tee on half? My daughter being one of them, Robert was trying to teach her a specific movement and she just struggled and struggled. So he put a constraint led approach on a tee and he let her swing that way for about four or five minutes. And then we took it away right? Because she kind of had the feel pattern in, but it wasn't, we're not going to come in there every day and do the same thing over and over again. Um, it's, it's, you know, and it, here's the thing is, and this is, you know, we go back to the lesson culture, right? And this sure. is where I think people, people get so much flack is the lesson culture is a feel good culture. I show up, I hit off the yep. tee. The guy slaps me on the back. Then he moves back and he flip tosses me for the next 10 minutes and I hit everything and I feel good. Then he goes back and he dead arms from 40 feet with no intention of trying to carve me up. Right. Cause yep. he wants to carve up an eight year old. I mean, you know, and then on, at the end he slaps mom and daddy on the back and says, looking good. The boy yep. is it's looking
0: dopamine. good. It's a dopamine business. Yep. Yep. It's just a dopamine and, response business. Everybody feels good.
1: And yep. we are addicted to dopamine response. And so. Uh, Then they go see you or they go see heavy metal. And, you know, every other lesson, kid walks out not liking baseball because he struggled mightily, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Oh, here's my deal. Here's my deal with that.
0: I typically, I typically try to end the day with something that will make them feel good. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I don't want them to hate it. Like, I don't want you to hate it totally. And, you know, you, t- you talk about young people, 11, 12, 13, teen it. They don't oftentimes have the emotional intelligence to, to understand. They're like, just because you suck today doesn't make you a bad player forever. Right, right. You know, and so, like, I, I, I one of our better players, listen, one of our better players who's a ninth grader who hits the ball 100 miles an hour, who will be a power five hitter, carved him up last week on two plate right-handed offset so we have we have two machines yeah two cages two machines we set one we typically try to try to set one on something right-handed and one on something left-handed and so this 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 specific combination of right-handed offset two plate heaters and left-handed breaking balls from like the far right side of the cage just these hammer-breaking balls in left-handed. Yeah. Just eats him a lot. Just yeah. eats him a lot. Typically, at the end, I turn the hit tracks on, the hit, the quality hit game, and I just 45 miles an hour right down the middle, let's play uh, Let's play a hit game, see how many points you can score. Yeah. That's how we end it. Ended. That's how it ends. Because, again, I'm not saying you're right or wrong. It's just I don't want to be solely responsible for them hating baseball. And so yeah, so, uh, so I I tried to, The older they get, the less they need that because yeah. their emotional intelligence is higher. But I told his dad, I'm like, look, well, he doesn't have the ability to reason from just because you suck today doesn't mean you didn't get better." We don't we don't right. know what's happening inside the brain from a motor learning standpoint, from a myelination standpoint of all of these activities of failure that. He's going to be better tomorrow because of it. Yeah. And so I try one. to I try to end on something that, that is feel uh, good, not so scaled down that they're hitting the ball that's not moving. <laughs> but it's like, man, if, if I can't throw you 45-mile RBP right down the middle, then maybe you
1: deserve to feel bad after <laughs> the end of the Yeah, day. exactly. i right. tell you, you'll like this story because this is in the world of me and Robert screwed up. <clears throat> so we developed hostile hitting. Yep, and up. I would. And it's a whole program that we we've kind of kept under wraps. I would love just to come to Tennessee and show you everything we know about hustling, what we've done. So we get two guys in. One's a D two catcher, and he is he's been working for with us for at this point for like a month. He's been there every day. He cannot get enough. He's just working, working, working. Yep. Second is a high school kid that's been with us forever. He's the one people see us post. He's got a 104X, X of velocity, just a yep. a kid that can mash. Anyway. We decided we're gonna debut hostile hitting. And at that time, hostile hitting for me and Robert was a combination of eye patches, earplugs, and light manipulation with the axe bats. Yep. Yep. God. So we shut off all the lights in the facility, run a spotlight on the machine, and we make the guys go left eye and we blow them up with like 95 left eye, light manipulation, all the axe bats right eye, all the back spats. And we progressively moved the machine a little bit closer after every round. Then we go earplugs, same thing. And then finally we go no constraints. This whole thing took 45 minutes. The two dudes that we have, that they're just virtually kind of unbreakable guys as far as mentally. The high, the college kid didn't show back up for three days. We fried <laughs> the high school, the high school kid, the high school kid lays on the ground for an hour we had to turn on the lights because we rent the facility other just lays on the ground for an hour just just fried and we and me and robert get done we're like we should probably scale that out a little bit differently. yeah was that too much (laughs) you got you got two two pretty good competitive kids who understand this is going to suck and one like i said one he, he plays in tyler texas He's eight hours away by car. He was up here staying with relatives. He had nothing to do but come play, hit baseballs. The so yep, only no reason he, he was up come. here. He didn't come for three days. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's when me and Robert were like, we should probably introduce this a little bit slower. But have you messed with the right. of light manipulation stuff? No,
0: no. I mean, so we've hit, we've, with some of our better players, we've hit with the lights down. We've turned the banks of lights off and then put strobes on. If that counts for light manipulation, then yeah. But like as far as putting a strobe light or a, a for a spotlight on the machine only and then, no, we haven't done that.
1: But I, can, uh, I, I can't highly recommend it, but I can tell you the, nat- the latest idea that I'm looking towards is getting uh, the same kind of glasses that like welders wear. So once you get yep. to, I would look this up. So, you know, there's a uh, class four is like the highest sunglasses you can buy. And then you start getting like the safety glasses, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 10, 11, 12. I think yep. 11 or 13 is, is welding and stuff. And I thought about getting the goggles to block out all light and then uh, run a light manipulation that way where you go, you're going to hit with a five. You're going to hit with a six and a seven and progressively get it darker and darker and see. Uh, see how dark we can get where guys can still barrel stuff up. Again, here's the whole thing. And this is the thing that I think people can learn.
0: Hitting from somebody that hit at a high level is – and this is the thing that I don't think Major leaguers trip is in right. Hitting is – you think it's hard. If you think it's hard, it's like a 100 times harder than you think it is. Like hitting a ball in professional baseball is impossibly hard. And I can't imagine what the guys are going through today. They weren't that good when I was playing, but they're insanely good now. Yeah, pitchers so, are winning the war. And I said this maybe strikeouts are up, not because guys are trying to launch angle or exit velocity, but maybe it's because the demands of our practice aren't meeting the demands of the game now. And I said, you know, old school practice methods may have worked because the demands of the game were closer. To coach overhand feel good coach BP, maybe, you know. But if we're not attacking the problem in in interestingly hard ways, then we're not getting closer to the solution of figuring out what hitting pitching in the major leagues is. You know. Yeah,
1: there. I I guarantee you that a lot of my ideas are garbage. I guarantee you they are because nobody hits, you know, no one one bats a thousand on the world of ideas. But I'm going to try. Right. I'm going to try and I'm going to experiment. I'm going to poke. I'm going to prod around the edges because I know the status quo doesn't work. Right. Right. And and you're reasoning
0: from a set of principles that's accurate. Right. My principles are accurate. The ideas that come with the principles may not be as
1: accurate as I want them to be. But the principles that I'm operating from are accurate. Yeah, but and that and and I'll abandon that and go back. And this is, you know, you talked about playing in pro ball, and you said I think you stumbled across something pretty reasonable where you said, "Listen, if I had stayed in the culture of playing in, in college and stuff like that, you don't think you'd have got where you're you are right now, as far as what your your thought process is." Right. And I think there's a lot of truth in that because if you look at studies, large legacy corporations and MLB, the Tigers, the Braves, they're large legacy corporations. They don't reward risk because there's right. no if i if i show up here and i and i do the same thing over and over and over again no one's going to call me out because that's the way we've always done it right so even if even if i go and i go coach in double a and i teach what everybody's always been taught and my guys don't hit then i can blame the guys and just go get different guys but if i come there with a radically different idea and the guys don't hit then my ideas can be blamed, and I get jettisoned, right? And that's sure. Yep, that's why I think you see the fringes of well, what's happening and hitting may not be happening within Major League Orgs. I think they're slowly catching on. You know, if someone's willing to hire a guy like Robert, uh, or, or you know, the Fred Landers and stuff like that, those guys are yep. getting their shot now. Um, and that's I think that's going to change the game exponentially, but uh. Robert's not afraid to take a risk, right? Fred's not I afraid hope to take a risk. I really
0: do because I'm sure there are still guys out there like me who, if Robert Riggins had walked in my clubhouse and said, Hey, you want to go hit? And I'm, yeah, what are we going to do? Uh, we're going to throw an eye patch on. We're going to, okay, if you think that'll make me better, okay, you know, because I'll do yeah. anything, I'll do anything to play in the big leagues, and yes, and quite frankly. There are guys playing pro ball that aren't like that. There are guys that are just happy to be there. There are guys, and I think everybody thinks that, like, want, everybody that's in pro ball wants to play in the big leagues. It's like, I think some wish they played in the big league, but be willing to do anything, and that's probably not true. You know, it goes back to safe success. You know, if they try something radically different and fail, then then they get blamed for, this mm-hmm. is the player, they get blamed for the shortcoming where if they just do what the system said, then it's the system's fault. And it's like, yep, I'm just going to wear it. I'm just going to wear it because I know the odds are impossibly hard. The odds are, are so minuscule that I make it anyway. That's, and that's the thing about trying something different is here. You realize that a, your career is going to end. It's probably going to end before you want it to. And B, you're, you're, you're going to suck regardless. You're going to suck. No one's good at hitting. No. Like as you think much about as that, like Mike Trout. Mike Trout's not good at hitting. Like look at look at how much he sucks. He just sucks just a little bit less than everybody else. And his good is really good, mm-hmm. but he sucks just as much as everybody else does.
1: Well, yeah, you uh, I, I, you go back to telling kids as they leave out. I, I always tell kids are having a bad moment. I'm like, hey, uh, does Mike Trout strike out? Yeah. Okay. Are you better than him? No. So why is it any different for you? Right. Just kind of right. logically if, 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 if tell me your favorite baseball player, because does he have a bad month? Does he have a bad, I'm a Braves fan. I watched Ronald Acuna have like a bad quarter of a, yeah. of a year. Right. And you go, if that guy gets to struggle, then you have to struggle. And I think you also hit on something that's pretty, we don't think about this logic where every mom and daddy thinks her son's going to be the next, whatever you want to be a right fielder in major league baseball. Okay. There's how many billions of people in the world and only 32 people in the world have that job. Yep. That's how exponentially hard this thing is. The odds are be- possibly hard. <laughs> yeah. You have to take every yeah. risk. Yeah. Every risk. Exactly. Yeah. And, and if, unless, unless, because there's certain hallmarks we seem to understand if your kid is the Superman build six four two fifteen, hums at 97, 98, he's got a pretty good chance of playing professional ball at some level. Right. And then there's, there's separators beyond that, but this is why I love hitting hitters coming in in these, you know, it's a lot harder thing to quantify, right. And this is the thing we're still struggling with because no, you know, uh, it's, I'm going to go on a rant here. So pardon me. It's the, uh, I don't like technology guy. I don't like technology. Your, your stuff they're using the cages doesn't translate on the field. I don't like technology. Great, coach. How fast is your pitcher throw? He throws 78. How do you know that? Oh, did you use technology? Okay, how, how fast are your guys running 60s? Well, my guy runs a 60 and six flat. How do you know that? Did you use a sundial? <laughs> right. Did you guess? <laughs> did you guess? Or did you use technology? <laughs> and we know, you know, and even as Emerald, Texas is somewhat behind on stuff. The adaptation of driveline principles is finally starting to flood in. because Now we're starting to understand that 90-mile-an-hour arms aren't an accident. They don't have to be. Right. And all this technology, but there's still this hard stop where you go, I don't want it for my hitter. Yeah, but we do understand that guys hit the ball over 100 miles an hour. Like the worst guy you know in Major League Baseball hits the ball over 100 miles an hour. Yep. The guy that, the guy that you've never seen, in the, let's say Billy Hamilton, a guy you think in your head, that guy can't hit. He's just there because he runs. Billy Hamilton hits the baseball hundred miles an hour. Yep. We know that is one of the things you're gonna have to do. So if you can't do that, it's a non starter. Sorry, it's a non starter. Then we start developing principles from there, but even now you look you, you do this as well. It's like that that kid hits the ball hundred miles an hour. Well, how does that translate in the game? <sighs> <laughs> well <laughs> Yeah. You know. But but can he hit? No, he probably can't hit that well because none of us hit that well, right? You're saying Mike Trout just sucks a little bit less than the guy who's hitting, you know, for the A's. He's he's not exponentially yeah. better, like fifty but, times less sucky. <laughs> yeah, but but I can tell you when that guy makes contact, he doesn't make contact routinely at eighty miles an hour. No, no, you know it's
0: like putting all your chips. He puts all his chips on. Like red every he doesn't put like one chip on red. He puts them all there. Yeah. So that when it hits, it's something spectacular. You know, and so, if you can't can't bet chips you don't have, if you don't have the bat speed, all the bat speed chips, I suggest you build them.
1: Because when well, these, it hit,
0: it's gonna be here's spectacular. The,
1: here's the thing that uh again and I guess we're railing on baseball. I love baseball. No, um, me too. But uh, I want it to grow, though. That's the thing. Like, yeah, I love it so
0: much. I want it to grow.
1: I was I was watching a documentary on on Rogue about kind of the father of powerlifting. Yeah, right. And when he won his first title, he like squatted five fifty, right? Uh, and right. you know, and that was the first title he held. That was a world record. And they're interviewing this guy, and he said, "If." if you would have told doctors and scientists at the time that a man could deadlift 1,100 pounds, they had told you you're crazy, right? He'll snap his spine, his knees are going to shoot out and go across the gym. But yet here we are. If you'd have told me, I saw this on Twitter the other day, that a grown man could bench press 1,300 pounds. If you'd have gone back in the 50s and 60s and said, I'm going to put 1,300 pounds on the bar, there's going to be a man bench pressing. They said, impossible. Like his heart's going to explode. Whatever thing they would have come up with. Yep. Right. Same thing with, uh, you know, uh, they used to think that if you ran a mile a sub for a sub four minute mile, your heart would explode. You just the human body couldn't take it. Right. And we've in every other sport has exponentially exceeded what they thought was possible the last time. The last four hundred hitter was Ted Williams. Right. Right. And who was it before that? Was there? It was, it was Ty Cobb. Before, Ty Cobb before that. Yeah. So the. So- so you've got – and we're all willing to admit that guys like Nolan Ryan used to be the outlier. But the game evolved on the pitching side to where every team has got a bullpen full of guys that can throw 97, 98, 100 miles an playing. hour. Yeah. Right. They're all, they're, all, they're all Nolan Ryans, right? And yet no one stopped to even, I think, logically think about the idea is, we're not getting better at hitting. Our The golden years of hitting were Ted Williams. Right. We didn't evolve along with it. Every other sport evolved. Again, put LeBron James playing against John Havlicek, a guy that's yeah. 6'8, 260 that can move like that, you know, it would have blown their minds. Yeah. Right. I, I just, but hitting one aspect of one sport is still stuck trying to find the elusive 400 hitter. And nobody's uh-huh. done it since Ted Williams. And no one, I think, when no one stopped, the th- and no one's stopping to ask why. Right. And and that's kind of the thing where have we, has, has the hitting community ceded so much ground that you'll never see a 400 hitter again? Have we ceded that much ground? Because about the time you think Driveline and Bodie are through, you see what they put out next. You're like, holy crap. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you're like, yeah. You, uh, you know, They are, they, uh, as Robert once, me and Robert said, it is kind of like, uh, we're trying to explain, you know, we're trying to explain the internet to people who don't even have computers, right? You know, you see what Bodie puts out there and you go, guys, guys, we're as hitting coaches. These guys are whipping our ass. 100%. They are killing us. And what do we are I I've said about? this I mean, about
0: hitting i have said this about hitting
1: it would serve us
0: a lot better if hitting was a a hand to hand combat thing that yeah. way it would be a lot more evident if you were getting your ass kicked or not. you know we can yeah. go under the presumption that we're not getting our ass kicked when we are. It's like no, we're getting crushed. we are getting killed. I've said that you know i I've had that same idea of like do we ever are we so far behind? Like it's like yeah. the thing. It's like we once you get so far behind, you you can never catch up. It's like are we yep. so far behind that we'll we can never catch up? Because as long as p- pitching continues to advance, we would have to close the gap. So f- we would have to start closing the gap at an incredible rate, and we're not equipped to
1: do that at all. I think I think the good the good thing is, and I'll, again I'll brag on on Robert is. um you know, me and Robert kind of work, we actually do work really well together. What's funny is you should come down and watch us work. It's like watching an old married couple argue with each other. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the kids call us mom and dad and it's a uh, mom and dad are fighting again. Yeah. Um, but it's just us hashing out ideas out loud. and We're not married. I'm not married to my ideas personally. Right. No, you can, you can tell me my ideas are terrible. Doesn't, you know, and then we can still go have tacos later. Right. Because. You know my ideas are separate from who I am as a person, um, but I really do think that guys like Robert and I don't know everybody out there. So you know if I if I'm missing a guy out there, I, I um, largely keep to my I largely keep to myself. Yeah. Um, but uh, for those, there's a real chance we're starting by making some stuff. But you know, I think with hitting, if I was a hitting guy for whatever major league team it's probably time to go whole hog on some of this stuff because the slow drip of it, right. The slow drip yep. of, of, of understanding how the brain works and the mechanisms behind how we swing a bat, the slow drip of letting the stuff come into the game. We're past that point because pitching is way beyond us. And so there has to be some risk taken. And I've told Robert that somebody has got to take a huge risk on a single A or a rookie ball team and see what happens. because that slow drip, I don't don't think we're there. You can't make up ground. No, you can't make up ground because, again, it's – I mean, I I like to consider myself a guy who can read pretty well, but you start looking like what Bodie puts out, and you're like, holy crap. Yep. Holy crap, these guys are – That's the
0: competition. That's the competition.
1: The other hitting guy
0: is not the competition. That's the competition. And I like Kyle. I love Kyle. Yeah, I was at yeah. DriveLine a month ago. I probably talked to Kyle for two hours, railing on, railing on pro ball and all these other things. But that's the competition, man. And look what he's doing. Yes. Look what he's
1: yes. doing. Yeah, they're winning the war.
0: Look what we're fighting they're, about. Like, we're fighting yeah. about the T. You know, it's it's like that Alan and Iverson moment. It's like, what are we talking about? We're talking about practice. practice. What are we talking about? <laughs> we're talking about the T. Guys, we're talking about the T. Not the game. Not that's my Allen Iverson rant. Not the game, not the actual game. When it matters the most,
1: we're talking about the T. Yeah, like the T guys.
0: The
1: T. Come on. That's that's the nicest way to look at it. Again, same thing. Like you said, is and I I don't know, Kyle. I've just uh, I've never met him. Never met him in the driveline guys, but they are my competition. Right? I'm at war with pitching. With those guys. Yeah, I'm at war with pitching in a very respectful way. 100%. One hundred percent. I'm at war. I'm at war with pitching. It's not a and personal word. war at all. Nope, not a personal war at all. And it's, it's kind of like a uh, you ever watch two fighters go at it. I actually, was a boxer for a little bit too. And it's the most remarkable thing in the world. After the end of the fight, the majority of them walk up and hug each other. After you have just been beating the brains out of that yeah. guy for like ten rounds, you walk them and go good. There's a respect there, ton of respect for what they're doing. Part of me wishes they weren't so good at what they're doing. Right. Um, but give us some time to right. catch up. Right. They're just flat I out also better think, than us.
0: I also think roundaboutly that most hitting coaches are vigilante pitching coaches. And it's like, I get it. So now they're doing this with Kyle, and then Kyle is sending out these vigilante pitching coaches to be hitting coaches. But no, 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 no. Don't do that hard practice. Don't listen to that. Here's the tea. Here's the yeah, nice yeah. tea. Yeah. This will get you where you need to go. And they're all back there behind the curtain just laughing. Yeah, They're just laughing. At the vigilante pitching coaches, they're out here <laughs> spreading this in filth. It's yeah. like, it's, have you ever watched the Americans? Did you ever watch the Americans on? Yeah, watch it. The yeah, rest yeah, of little, yeah I didn't yeah. And that's what pitching people are. They're just here <laughs> to kind of sow the seeds of like, here's the nice tea, and here's the dopamine hit, yeah. and here's the
1: practice. This Swing is down. exactly what <laughs> you need. Swing down, put the ball on the ground. Right.
0: This yeah. is exactly what you need. While Kyle. Is behind the curtain, just dialing it's like in the pitches. The it's like, <laughs> this is not going to work. <laughs> guys, again, my Alan Iverson moment, we're talking about the T. We are talking about yeah, the T,
1: guys. Ball's not even moving. I have a, a kid that I coached in high school that uh, he's, in, he's in the major leagues now. I didn't do anything to put him there. A the kid was just phenomenally talented. But he came back while he was still in the minor leagues, and he was given lessons at the facility. I walked in, and he's seven years removed from, from uh, high school. And he's teaching the kid how to hit. I was like, what are you doing? He just looks at me and said, you haven't picked up a bat in seven years. What are you doing with this kid? And he just smiled at me. And it made me think of that right now because at the time I thought he was just trying to make a buck, but he was a vigilante. He was a vigilante.
0: He was a behind-the-scenes guy. (laughs) Most, I think 80% of, I think probably 90% are just vigilante pitching people. (laughs) That's funny. It's like, this is not right. This is, this is not what we should be talking about. All right, man. Energy drinks. Are you an energy drink consumer?
1: I'm a C4 guy. And the reason oh, I'm a C4 guy so is you ready, for my, you ready for my justification? Yeah. So I have high triglycerides. Had them since I was a kid. No big deal. They always want to put me on medicine. I won't take it. But I found out that niacin, or was told that niacin yep. has the ability to lower triglycerides, and C4 has niacin in it. So in my head, I'm taking a health drink.
0: There you go. There See? you go. Funny, yeah. good C4. You're in Amarillo. Jeff Leach at Forth is in Austin, I think. Yeah. Funny Jeff Leach story. I do the energy drink reviews every day. I do C4. He sends me a DM. He says, hey, here's a good C4 story. We have a we have a camp at Forth. And kid walks in with a C4 hat on. And one of the assistant coaches is like, hey, kid, <laughs> C4 is for amateurs. And the kid turns around and says, <laughs> kind of laughs. Ah, that's funny. My dad owns the company, and so the guy, the kid's dad, picks him up in like a Maserati. It's eight hundred million dollar company, and the kid. I told Jeff, it's like that sounds like something I would do. Just pop it yeah. off to a kid, you know, trying to just talk smack, and the kid turns around and just dunks on the guy. <laughs> that's funny. I like C four. I think C four is better than Bang. I think C four is better than Bang.
1: I never see. See, I don't have the. Uh, I don't have the patience that you have uh, to go and try things like that. So uh, the terrible thing about me is, like, if I go pick up a C four cherry limeade, and I like it, yeah, I'm going to hang on to that cherry limeade until I go to the store one day and they're sold out. That kind of runs against what you are as a, as a hitting coach, though. Oh yeah, probably. Probably, and then I'll go like, hey, it's
0: again. I think people view you, you and I as like we're just throwing shit up in the air and seeing what sticks. It's like now there's a set of underlying principles to all of this, and again we go yeah. back to that. But again, we I just like to try stuff. I just like to, if you can convince me, it's like eye patches. The day I talked to Robert about eye patches and earplugs and all this other stuff, if you convince me there's a good principle behind it, I'm going to try it. Because what else do you have to lose? This goes back to what else do you have to lose? You're gonna suck
1: anyway. So just yep. try something. Well, yeah, especially and I feel like I owe it to the kids. Like the kid who who comes in and he just wants to make his varsity team. Yep. Right. I think that's also the other side of this where you go, Man, you guys are just so worried about making guys the next level or, or you guys are so worried about the you know, the Mike Trouts of this world. I'm like, no, what I want is I want that kid who wants to be the best high school player he can be. And he knows kind of in his heart that's his ceiling. But you know what? That's his best chance to have some time in the sun. Yep. Right? But he wasn't he comes in with a, a bag full of problems and he's already been surpassed by his the peers that hit puberty early, or bigger, stronger yep. and faster than him. And I'm going, how do I make this kid, how do I help this kid play as much baseball as long as he possibly can? And Because Those are the my kids that, they don't yeah, have anything yeah. else to lose. You know, no. Tell them to stand on their head and and carry a yeah. broom through to they the history don't have class. And they'll do
0: it. the yeah. kid—that's my favorite because I, I said that—is the kid who the coach doesn't know his name is what his name is. It's like the kid that sits down at the end of the bench who ends up hitting fifth in his lineup. Mm-hmm. Like that's what gets my gears going. Like I, again, yeah. I'm with you. The pro ball guys are fine. The Mike Trout's are fine. I like the kid who's sitting down on the end of the bench who no one knows his name. Who ends up in fifth in the batting order, who just hits rockets. And the coach is like, Huh, I didn't even know this kid existed. It's like, Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's what gets yeah. me going. That's
1: what who hey, yeah. I love the most. That's that's the same thing. Yeah. So I'd uh because again, and I think about this exponent, I think about this. If I can instill, if I can help instill with that kid a love of baseball, right? And this is probably way too much thinking and probably not even beneficial, but if I can consult that kid in love of the baseball, then the next generation he takes up, they love the game of baseball. His kids are going to love baseball and their kids are going to love baseball. Yep. And that's how the game keeps going. Um, the game doesn't keep going for that poor kid who tells his kids like, Hey pop, can we go play baseball? No, we can't go play baseball. Baseball's a garbage sport. Yep. No one ever, no one ever, no baseball coach ever. Invested in me, no baseball coach ever took any interest in me, um, because I didn't fit their mold. And you go, that's that's not a healthy way to grow the game, because that kid's, for lack like, of it, you know, for for that kid's that kid's kids or their kids somewhere, yeah. that my kid might be the next guy who blows this game up and makes an impact on a, on a really big level. So, for sure. For sure. I know you're looking, I'll at we're you probably both getting.
0: I will ask you the last question. Thanos, snap, your fingers, anything out of baseball, what do you got? Tease?
1: Uh, I know i thought about this. I, it's the idea that it's all or nothing. Um, the HLP guys, the idea that they can't teach me anything because I disagree with 50% of what they're saying. Uh, the Eco-D guys, I can't agree with them because maybe I only agree with 70%. I think way too often we look at hitting other hitting people that, maybe doing things differently and we go listen cuz i don't agree with all of what they're saying i'm going to discount everything they're doing right you know and and i'm just using numbers here if the hlp guys let's say i disagree with 30% that means there's 70% out there that they're doing that i can start studying and figuring out what i agree yep. with yep yep right and sure. what i what applications i can make in my guys cuz they're not doing everything wrong no right, no uh, the the eco dynamics guys. What are they doing that I'm reading? Like that's really interesting. I want to go down there, and what can I separate from there that I go? I don't agree with this, and here's my principles. Why I think it's way too often it's all or nothing. Yep. In the world of hitting, these guys don't agree with me, so I'm going to shove everything they do off to the side. And again, that's that's how you know that's how that's how Bodie's winning the war, right? Because 100%. we're. We're we're all fighting for the supremacy of our idea. And you go, right, what if all of our ideas work? Right? What if they all play with each other at some level we haven't considered yet? So you No, know, I'm with you. you know, the again drive line's not up there saying every guy has to throw from a set position. Right. <laughs> right. They take all comers from all over the place and, and make which, their arsenals amazing. Right. And then you know, twenty years ago that was unheard of really for the most part, right? You had to do this. This was it. So yep. that, that's that's why I would snap out of the world of baseball right now, that is that all or nothing is um, I can't learn from from guys who I, I disagree with on, on some level.
0: Right. Again, I've said that, you know, I've got an underlying set of principles that, that I think are accurate, that I think have been accurate for the hundred years that baseball has been around. Within that, we can go a lot of different directions and do a lot of different yeah. things, you know. I mean, honestly, if if we can make hitters better in the game when it actually matters, that's all I want. All right, that's man. Dope. It was good catching up. It was yeah. good catching up. You're doing good work. Keep it up. You get killed on the internet for bouncing a ball off of a trampoline.
1: <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, I appreciate it. Hey, and for what it's worth, you're the first guy to talk to me, so uh – uh. You are. Uh, I'm. I'm now officially. You're the first guy to have a conversation with me, not face to face in Amarillo, Texas. So whatever that's worth, I'm. I'm your first, or you're my first. I, put it that way.
0: I will. I. I will. I. I. I learn as much from these as I would any other time. You know, I, I love Rogan. I love Rogan, Ooh. and I love Rogan's ability to learn and think and reason. And he's he's not on that podcast to like. Be right or wrong, he's just talking to these people, and and people will say on this podcast, it's like, why don't you have people on that disagree with you? I'm like, well, and I think you had, I think you had ches
1: Yeah, we did. Yeah.
0: Like I liked ches's work, I did, and I still probably think it's pretty good. I'm just not gonna reason with the guy. okay I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that.
1: Yeah, I don't don't have time for the dunking on people on social media stuff. I I again, that doesn't grow anything, and that's. Uh, and I, I've eventually just muted those guys. And that's the unfortunate thing is they're, they may have really good ideas, but, uh, the name calling between, and I'm not going to, I don't want to say their names. I don't want to be a part yep. of it, but the name calling between this guy's a moron and this guy's a, or whatever. And this guy's in and, and that I, I, I mean, I, I sit back and like, how does that, how does that make the game better? And how's that making your players better? For I sure. don't. I don't get it. Again, we went back full combat. We're all just sitting in a room and staring at each other. Right. Probably a lot more polite conversation.
0: Uh, Amarillo, Texas now on my two-visit list. And so hopefully before I get too old and washed up, I can get to Amarillo, Texas. And I've never been to Amarillo. I know it's Tim Cup took place there. And so,
1: all right, man. Have a great you day. You come eat tacos with us. Oh, love tacos. All right. We'll see you. See you, dude.